Welcome to the official podcast of DogsDaily.com, a Sports Illustrated channel. Gets to the edge. Tony Vassell will send the Dogs home to the championship game. If you're looking for the latest Georgia Bulldog news in football, basketball, baseball, and recruiting, then you're in the right place. Hosted by Dogs Daily Riders, Jeremiah Stoddard, Kyle Funderburg, and Jonathan Williams. Here's pitch. And high out into right center with some carry. It's got a chance. This ball is out of here. Tucker Bradley has won it. Just sit back, relax, and prepare yourself for these hot takes you're about to listen to. All right, welcome back to another episode. As always, Jeremiah Stoddard along with Jonathan Williams doing it virtually this week. Um, But other than that, everything is the same. Uh, So we got a lot of conversations to have with you this week. You got NIL and all of the guidelines that are starting to come out from, you know, the NCAA this past week and what needs to change there to make the game of football in college, you know, stay at the the quality that it is right now. What type of players could be up and coming for Georgia? We'll find out soon as well. And then obviously we've got the King of the Hill segment at the end of the, uh, at the end of the show as well that I'm excited about as well. Jonathan, how are we doing today? Uh, A little tired. I had to do spread some mulch today. So I'm a little tired. Back's a little sore. Got to do it again tomorrow. But other than that, I'm great. It's another Wednesday. It's time to record another episode. Always excited for that. So that always gets the blood flowing, brings some energy back into you. So ready as always and excited about it. Absolutely, man. Well, let's jump into it then. So when you look at the you saw the the new guidelines that came out, I don't know how much you read deep into the actual guidelines They submitted their huge report of stuff, all that kind of stuff. Right. But the key word that stuck out to me and everything was. Retroactive, right. They started talking about cracking down some and and making something out of like, the you know, they, they realized something needs to be done. And so they, they came out and said, here, here's the guidelines. We're going off of this kind of stuff. And hey, by the way, we're this is retroactive because boosters can't be reaching out to recruits in high school or at other you know universities and stuff like that prior to being in the transfer portal or anything like that. Boosters can't be involved, right? So that was the big thing of, hey, let's make this retroactive. And but that's always been a thing, you know, like the mm-hmm. boosters can't be involved with those in the first place. That's why they're saying that it's retroactive. What was your, in, you know, your feelings when you saw that come up? What, what was your initial reaction to that? I'm just glad that there's people reacting to what is going on and they're not just sitting on their hands and kind of turning a blind eye towards it because it's it's become very evident and it's become very obvious. Programs aren't even trying to necessarily hide what they're doing just because at this point they're just like, oh, NIL, we are able to pay these players now. So what really is cheating anymore? It's really not. So why not just go ahead and do it? It could be known to the public and no one's really going to bat an eye towards us or anything. And so I think it's good that they're trying to regulate it because we've been saying like NIL is great. Players deserve to be paid. They deserve to get their money. They deserve to get paychecks in college. They deserve to have some type of income for being great at the great athletes that they are. But at the same time, there were, there were some glaring issues about it. And 
it needed to be regulated in some ways. And we've mentioned that on this podcast before. And so I was glad to see that they are trying to do some positive things with it. They're trying to refine some things and really make it just a pure, beautiful thing, which is what NIL should be. It shouldn't be this thing that gives some programs the the edge over others or just becomes this massive bidding war for players, which is what has happened right now, especially with the transfer portal now being a huge thing. And then you slammed in NIL. Both of those two things have collided together. And it's created utter chaos, but the fact that they're trying to do something about it was just a positive reaction for me because, you know, we haven't been too too fond of the NCAA on the show, and we've um, thrown some shade towards our way, but um, good on like guys like Greg Sankey and some other commissioners of conferences trying to do something about it and talking to people, saying, like, this is what needs to happen and putting it into action. Yeah, for sure. And and to kind of go back in, in time a little bit, back in the spring last year, we did a, a whole episode. It's actually called Is the NCAA Organized Crime? Uh, one yeah. of our better episodes back when we had Kyle on the show and stuff, too. And it was before we had the video, obviously. But we had a lot of fun with that one because we really broke down all of the numbers of like how much revenue is in college football, all of that kind of stuff. So if you're interested, go back and find an episode. It was, it was like an hour of just rants from all three of us. Yeah. It was crazy. It was. Well, and it was all just like a bunch of information and stats and, and how much money is in the NCAA and at these mm-hmm. schools like Georgia and stuff like that. Um, but my, my thing is, are we actually going to see them do something about it, right? Or are they just using that phrase retroactive as like a scare tactic? Do they think yeah, the big like schools a damage out there control that type thing? Exactly. Do they think, hey, you know, that might, that they're, they're, that's a warning shot, right? Or are they going to actually go out after some teams that there's some questions about right now, which, you know, everyone's talked about when this stuff started coming out all over Twitter, everything like that, you started seeing things of like, hey, are they going to actually go after USC and Lincoln Riley because of some of the stuff that everyone's basically speculating and assuming is happening over there or, or Texas A&M who just had the biggest recruiting class, you know, the, the best ever. And all of a sudden they, they've had this massive kind of signings and stuff like that. Uh, where people are also assuming that a lot of NIL stuff has to play in. Is it a scare tactic to where they're trying to basically just prevent that from happening anymore? Or are they actually going to do something about it? Do you think that they are actually going to go backwards and say, hey, we know y'all did some stuff, or we're going to start researching to see if y'all did some stuff. Do you think they actually do that? Or are they just more of the same where they're just like, you can't do that. Don't do that. I think it. I think if you really care about NIL and you really want to make NIL just beneficial for everybody, I think you have to put something into action. Whether or not they do, I don't know. Uh, History will tell you that they're probably not going to. Again, like you said, it might just be a slap on the wrist like, hey, USC, we're putting this out there so that way you kind of dial it back a little and we don't get slammed publicly because it's a bad look for us. It's a bad look for you as well. So we're just kind of putting this out there in hopes that you kind of slow things down and maybe keep some things behind closed door as it used to be before NIL. Things were just kept behind closed doors. You weren't cheating unless you were caught. So um, whereas now it's just kind of been blown out because people want players to know like, oh, yeah, we're offering this player eight million dollars to come play quarterback for us. That's why you should want to come play for us. It's just another recruiting tactic at this point. So people want it out there on social media. People want people talking about Lincoln Riley and USC or Jimbo Fisher and the Texas A&M Aggies. That's what it's become. So if you want NIL to just really be about the players and making sure they're really benefiting from this, you got to do something about it. Because if not, I talked to you about this, I think a couple of weeks ago, is that when you are telling players like Addison from Pittsburgh, like news comes out that, oh, yeah, we offered him $8 million before 
he even entered the portal, which is would be considered tampering, by the way. I mean, the guy wasn't even in the portal yet. He was still technically with Pittsburgh, and yet news comes out that USC has offered him this million-dollar deal to come play for them. Then what happens when Joe Smith in the next class, um, who's who plays quarterback or plays wide receiver, says, well, you gave this guy $8 million, and I think I'm a better player than he is, so I think you need to give me – million or whatever. And it's just going to continue to happen because you're putting a price on these players. You're you're basically putting right above their name. You're saying this player is worth X amount of money. Well, that means other players are going to start talking, saying like, this is what it's what happens with NFL contracts or any contract in major league in major league sports. When one player gets paid a whole bunch of money, that just increases the market for everybody else. No matter who you are, no matter how talented you are, it just makes you that much more valuable. So that's kind of the tone that is being set in college football right now and specifically to the programs that are doing it. So I think, yes, you have to do something. Do they do something? I'm not entirely sure. And my hopes aren't exactly high for it to happen. No, I mean, I agree. And, but to go to that same, that same concept there of, Hey, you know, this player's making this much money, right? Let's call a spade spade. We, we know that like there's a quarterback that's going to Tennessee right now, that that's the speculation of like where it is. Right. So let's use Tennessee as an example. How far can that go? Right. So say there's a running back that's the top running back in the class. He's going to come over there and say, hey, man, everyone knows. Like, it's not public technically, but, like, everyone knows that this is the quarterback that's making $8 million this year, right? Like, he's the one or or during his time at Tennessee or being here over X amount of years, whatever. He's the guy that's getting that. I know that. If you want me to come here, I feel like I'm as good of a player as him, if not better. What are you going to give me? And they come to him with, like, hey, we might be able to do, like, $1 million or $2 million or stuff like that. Is it going to run dry on them where they're like, these players are like, all right, well, no, screw you. I know you can pull this type of money from your boosters from somebody else. You can't seem to do it to me. You don't really want me that bad. I'm going to go somewhere else. Do you start to see these schools like that being able to or willing to pay, you know, an entire offense or an entire defense or a bunch of like star players that type of money? Or is it going to be one of those things where the well runs dry? Because how many times can they do that, right? How many times mm-hmm. can they go to their boosters and say, hey, we need this much money? College football, at least right now, college football hasn't been like that. So the ability to do that is probably not as strong as people may think. You may be able to do that once or twice. But like you said, it's very public that this one player is making that much money. Does Tennessee get their one guy? Or do they you know, drag more money out of their boosters for other players to actually put together a roster? Or is it one of those things where you're just going to be like, all right, I have the highest paid quarterback in college football, but I have nobody around it. Yeah, and I think there's an obvious trend with what's going on is like you don't hear about Georgia throwing out NIL deals to players and saying, oh, well, they're throwing out this deal to players. Or you don't really hear too much about Alabama doing that type of thing. You hear about it from Texas A&M. You hear about it from USC. You heard about it with Miami and talks about Marys Mims when he was in the portal. And what do those three programs have in common? Well, USC used to be really, really good back in the day. Miami used to be really, really good back in the day. Texas A&M is like you had your moments with Johnny Manziel and whatnot, but those are both those are all three programs that are really trying to make it back into college football and truly really trying to get their name back into the mix. And so what they're trying to do is put some draw back into their program. But at the same time, like you're saying, and same thing with Tennessee, like me growing up, I don't ever remember Tennessee being good because they really haven't been that good during my lifetime. And I don't know, like Tennessee's all just kind of been like a middle of the pack program, kind of mediocre, like, yeah, they'll probably be in the middle or probably towards the bottom. And so what you have to be careful with. Yeah, exactly. So what you have to be careful with when you're those type of programs is that 
you don't have that same type of draw to your program that, say, Georgia and Alabama do right now because you haven't had recent success. Whereas Georgia and Alabama, even if they were to be throwing out these in massive NIL deals, they still have a lot of draw to their program right now because they've got Kirby Smart. They've got Nick Saban. They have recent national titles. They have a lot of success in the last five years. And so that still like tells a recruit like, oh, that's a program that I probably would want to be interested in. Whereas with Tennessee, when it, if the well does run dry, what's your pitch at that point? Because you really don't have something to compete against a Georgia, Alabama, or a, or like a Clemson in some scenarios as well. So that's also something that's a little dangerous with these programs that are just throwing out these NIL deals to the public. Yeah, for sure. And which it brings us back to the point that we kind of talked about last week, right? We, and we won't do the same numbers again this week because we've already done it, but, and we'll go deep, too deep into it, but how much money the Georgia players just made by going in the first round or in the draft entirely, right? Like at this point, you, you've seen Georgia and Alabama's not fall into the trap of the NIL stuff as much where you see all of these massive deals coming out for like Georgia players. And so you see some, right? Like you've seen, I think it was Brock Bowers got like the, the Zaxby's deal mm-hmm. after, you know, JT Daniels had the Zaxby's deal. Now, now it's Brock Bowers. Um, and you've seen a bunch of stuff like that throughout Athens and everything like that, right? Like, fair you know you know great for them right but you haven't seen a bunch of things come where players sign with georgia or alabama for that matter um where they're like all right they're coming here and all of a sudden there's just huge um you know inside of how much money they're going to make nil wise like you just don't see that yeah there might be some players i know bryce young you know reportedly was going to get like somewhere around a million dollar like nil stuff based on last year like after everything came out but he was already on he was already on the you know, roster when that happened. So it's like they're already at the school, which is the way it's supposed to work, by the way. It's supposed to be when these guys get to school, they sign NIL deals and stuff like that. They're not supposed to be getting these uh, kombucha deals like Quinn Ewers out there going from high school early, leaving high school early and going to college, you know, at Ohio State. Was it Ohio State? Is that where he went first? Mm-hmm. Ohio State. And then uh, like an early enrollee and didn't ever step on the field and all of a sudden now he's at Texas. And that's not how it's supposed to be. That's that's not legal because they shouldn't be coming out of high school with NIL deals before they're even on campus because boosters and all of those other people aren't supposed to be reaching out to them, which makes me wonder how much the NCAA is actually going to go back on the retroactive side of things because all of that kind of stuff shouldn't be legal. If they have an NIL deal before they're on campus, that should be illegal because that's like it. it, Obviously, they were contacted by other people outside of the program about coming to that school. Now, I guess theoretically, like people like Quinn Ewers can get out of that, that trap and Ohio State can get out of that trap because they're like, Hey, kombucha is still giving him the same deal at Texas. It wasn't relying on the same school. That's where it comes down to like specific boosters giving out the money like that, where it actually plays a factor. Um, but you see schools like Georgia and Alabama saying, Hey, we're not playing that game here's how much our players are making in the NFL come here to win a championship, come here to make it to the NFL. Don't come here necessarily because of the NIL stuff. Yeah. You'll get some of that stuff while you're here because players at Georgia are getting that, but come here to win the championships, come here to make it to the NFL. And that's what we're going to do. Cause you can pull up the stats. What was it? 47 Georgia players in six years for Kirby smart. Was that the number or is it 44? Mm-hmm. You, you put the stat out the other day, 47 and 27 of those. No, 23 of those were in the last two years for Georgia, five of which were, you know, 24 last actually. year. 
24, that's right, 24 of them were in the last two years for Georgia. That's the argument they're making. It's like, hey, you come here, you're going to go to the NFL. You'll make plenty of money in the NFL. You don't need mm-hmm. those those NIL deals to get there. That's what they're selling them on. And we'll see who's successful in the long run. This is the beginning of it. Georgia and Alabama are set up for success already, though. So I, I feel like that method is actually going to be more beneficial, especially if they start cracking down on like the boosters getting involved early on, getting kids to the school, if that makes sense. I mean, yeah, it's clear what Georgia has been advertising the last four months. They've been advertising the national championship. They were plastering their natty rings during G-Day all over the place. They were talking about NFL Combine, um, how their players performed there and how they prepared their players to exceed at the event. They talked – I mean, they milked NFL draft weekend all the way until it was dry with um, having the number one overall pick and having that many players go in the first round and just ha- breaking the record in general for having the most players drafted as well. So that's what they're advertising. They're not advertising the money that they're throwing at players or anything like that. They're advertising what's the, what's it in for the players. Why do you come to Georgia? Like, what is the prize at the end of the road for what you, what, what you go through at Georgia? What is the prize at the end of the road for you? And, They've been they've been posting quotes about like Georgia's practices are as close as it gets to NFL and what gets you ready for the NFL. There's nothing else. Nobody else comes close. Georgia does it best. And that's what they've been putting out there. That's what they've been showing to the public. That's what they've been telling recruits and what what they've been advertising to them. So it's a big difference on what the route that Georgia is taking and the route that some of these other programs are taking. Now it's time to see who's going to end up winning in the long run and who's going to who what's going to lead to the most success. I think it's going to end up being the latter in regards to what Georgia is doing right now, just because, like I said, it's one thing to be able to throw money at people, but it's another thing to say, we win ball games here. We win our division. We make the SEC championship. We make the playoff year in and year out, or at least every other year. That's a bit, whereas USC, yeah, you're going to make a million dollars, but I don't know that you're going to get as much, as much exposure for the NFL here. I don't know if you're going to be able to, win a national championship by the time you're done here those things still matter at least in my opinion so now it's time to see who's going to end up winning the race when it's all said and done and what's going to happen with nil are changes going to be made and whatnot right and but that's where you get those true competitors where is it about the money right away or long-term money kind of thing is the first part and also are you that concerned about winning a championship or are you just there to like be there for two three to four years and go on to the NFL to make your money at that point, you know, or, or is winning a championship important to you? I think last year, this past season proved that that's still very important to a lot of players in college football. When you look at Georgia, after all of the players that decided to come back, right. And even this year, even Nolan Smith and other players coming back this year, all of that shows that like players still do care about winning championships. And at that point, it comes down to the competitive nature of the individual. Cause some people, yeah, might be in it for, the money long term, which I think everyone at the end of the day is like the money's important because they're trying to make money if they're trying to go to the NFL. Absolutely. That goes without saying. But at the end of the day, does it are you also that concerned about winning championships? Is that as important to you? And your competitive nature comes in as a competitor. You played high school sports. I played high school sports, not on like the college level, but I, we were competitors. We knew what it felt like. To, and personally, I wanted to win. I didn't. And I wanted to play the game. And it, but at the same time, I wasn't offered millions of dollars, I guess, is, is, you know, to be fair. But at the same time, like, I think there's a lot of people out there that they want to win. They want to compete. And I think Georgia wins that and, and Alabama wins that in the long run versus the teams like Tennessee, where they haven't had any success. 
since the 90s. They haven't been relevant since the 90s. And at this point, you know, are they going to be able to pay enough players to come there or and turn stuff around? That's what I don't know. But what we can talk about now is the players at Georgia that want to compete, right? Like, so there's mm-hmm. all these players at Georgia right now. At this point, it's time to look at who's going to take that next step at Georgia, right? Who are the players that are in line to take the next step now that they are there, NIL, all that kind of stuff put aside. They're at Georgia. They're ready to compete. Who do you have taking the next step this year for Georgia or a couple of players? There's a few names that come to mind, um, but I I have two that kind of really resonate with me. And for me, how I classify a player taking the next step is – Like last season was kind of their surge onto the scene. Like you finally saw them on the field. They became a consistent name that you heard throughout the football game, but maybe weren't necessarily like, um, I don't know how exactly to put that, put it, but like they weren't that dude on the field just yet. Um, But now it's time for them to take the next step in their career, time to separate themselves from the rest of the pack and really start being a lead front name for the University of Georgia. And two names for me start to come to mind when I hear it. One is Lad McConkey. You know, he had his big breakout game last year against um, Auburn. I think he had something like 137 receiving yards and a touchdown or two, maybe. I think maybe just one touchdown. But he really broke out last season. Um, He ended up with like 450 plus receiving yards on like 35 receptions. And he really, you really saw his um, offensive um, game kind of blossom and develop as the season went on. Todd Munkin started making an emphasis to get him the ball at any time possible because he's just an electric playmaker. Um, whether it's behind the line of scrimmage, making guys miss and getting yards after the catch, or just a deep threat in general, he was able to catch the ball vertically. Um, but I really want to see him this year take that next step, really become that go-to guy in Georgia's offense. Be just be that dude. Like when Georgia needs a big play, you're looking at Lad Monkonkey. I know you have Brock Bowers. Georgia has Brock Bowers. They have Eric Gilbert back this year, and you have a lot of other talented guys like Adonai Mitchell as well, who are still at Georgia but I don't know that any of them are as versatile and can be used in so many different sets like Lad McConkey can and be so efficient just because you can do the jet sweep with Lad McConkey. You can throw to him deep down the field. You can throw a slant to him. You can throw a screen, whatever you want. Lad McConkey is your guy to do anything and everything. He's the Jack of all trades. So that's one guy for me. Second one is Keely Ringo. Last year he played cornerback number two uh, beside Darian Kendrick and, um, He was a fresh face, hadn't seen him yet, and he played really well. He had some growing pains, struggled early on in the season. He kind of battled it out with a mere speed, finally ended up winning the job, ended up sealing the deal for Georgia in the national championship. Now this year, your cornerback number one, which which, um, Georgia doesn't do shadowing where you're, you're sticking with another team's number one guy all game. You're on one side of the field and you stay there, but still, you're in that number one spot. All eyes are on you now in the secondary. When something goes wrong, People are going to start looking to you, and they're going to be looking at you for leadership. And so Keely Ringo's my guy to see. Can he take that next step where it's just whenever you think of Georgia secondary, man, that guy Keely Ringo can really lock it down. He's a front runner for them. If When things are going right, Keely Ringo's playing really, really well, and I think he will this year. I think he um, the um, progression that he showed last year, the strides that he made to get better, if he can continue to develop like he ha- did last year, I think you'll see a really special season from him, and I think you'll also see one from Ryan McConkey as well. So those are the two guys for me that I think will take the next step, and guys or more so that I'm looking to see if they take the next step this season. Yeah, I agree, and that I think that they're they're looking to have a good season. I mean, Lad Lad had a good season last year, right? Like he came out, and so did Keely. Keely, 
I know he had he got beat a couple times and stuff, but like obviously everyone remembers the last play that he made last mm-hmm. year. It's, it's going to stick in everybody's mind, right? Nobody's going to forget that. Um, but also on the other side of the ball, right? Let's go to the offensive side. I feel like you're going to see one of these two players, if not both of these players. Actually, you have to see both these players step up and have a breakout season next year. You've got to see Kenny McIntosh and Kendall Milton have a season next year, right? They're the next guys up. They they have been a little bit more quiet. Kenny has you know made a lot of plays in the past game and stuff like that. So we're excited to see what he's going to be able to do. And Kendall is also going to be making a lot of splash, like a big splash in college football next year, right? Like you've got those two guys as your number, you know, one and two running backs. They're going to have a good season this year. They're going to have to, you know. And so like at that point. I'm, I'm excited to see it because I feel like we've seen flashes from both of them in the past couple of seasons. Um, both of them have dealt with their different injuries and stuff over the past couple of seasons as well. So I'm excited to see what they're able to actually put on the field next year. Um, another player that I've been looking at, you know, and it, I don't think comes as a surprise either that I expect to have a pretty big year is going to be an offensive tackle, right? Like I'm going to look at Broderick Jones. He stepped up massively in the, you know, the championship game. After we had an injury, Erickson went down. You had Sawyer kick in the guard, and all of a sudden, Broderick Jones comes in at, at tackle in the national championship game and shuts down. He has to face Will Anderson. You know, like that's, that's, that's a massive deal. Yeah, like, and he he did it. He he answered that call. Will Anderson got quiet in that game, even after we made that change. Georgia made that change, and so I'm expecting him to really step up, and 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 basically solidify himself as that left tackle for Georgia. And you could see him go in the draft next year. He's, he's going to be draft eligible next year. Whether or not he actually goes, I don't know. That's one of those things where you got to see Kirby Smart sitting there going, hey, come back one more year. Maybe you can be a first-round draft pick because I don't know. He'd have to have a crazy good year next year to be a first-round draft pick. But has if he comes back for two seasons, he very well could be a first-round draft pick. You know what I mean? Like that. That's He's very, very capable. He's got the athletic build an ability to do that. I just don't know if he's going to be able to put it together in one season to be a first round draft pick. But if he comes back for two seasons at Georgia, that's a name to watch in the, you know, top 15 in the NFL draft at that point. Yeah. I mean, fans have been itching to see Kendall Milton be a featured back at the university of Georgia since he arrived on campus, just because Georgia brings them in every single cycle and they bring in really, really good ones. And so once they get there, Everybody just wants to see what they can do. Georgia breeds running backs like nobody's business. They put them in the league consistently, and they are RBU. I don't think there is an argument, at least for – especially right now. I think Georgia's without a doubt RBU. And nothing against Zamir White and James Cook, but I think Georgia has something really, really special this year at running back with the tandem of um, McIntosh and Milton. Just because when Kenny McIntosh gets the ball – Good things always happen. He's he's always going to have something productive happen with him. And Kendall Milton is just one of those players that he's special. When he has the ball in his hands, you can just tell by the way he runs, the way he fights after contact. There's something special there. And you can tell – and the fact that he hasn't even gotten a bulk of the carries yet in his career, just wait until he's doing it every other down or getting a consistent amount of carries every single game. Those – um, those special plays that you've seen, there's going to be more and more of them. Those flash plays that you see for him, from him, there's going to be even more of those this year. And I think you've got a good combination of the style of players that Kenny McIntosh and Kendall Milton are, and I think they'll really pair up really well. I think they play off of each other really well, um, too. So I think that Georgia has something really special. Georgia has really something special on offense in general, but the, 
those two running backs right there are going to do some special things this year for Georgia. Absolutely. For sure. And I'll, I'll jump to the other side of the ball real quick to add a little bit to it. And I look at that other cornerback position for Georgia, right? I, I you got Keely Ringo at one of them. I feel like, um, and we know this is where the battle's at. It's going to be either, you know, Kamari Lasseter or you're going to see Nylon Green step up. I know I think the edge has been going towards maybe Kamari Lasseter, although he was out, he missed G-Day. Nobody got to see him play uh, G-Day because of concussion issues and stuff like that. But you do expect to see one of those two guys be able to step up. And Nylon Green had an interception at G-Day, even though, even though I think it was, who was it? Was Oof. it Rosemary Jack Saint that threw the ball or who was? I, I think it was. Um, but it was a trick play, but either way, like he still stayed with his guys, stayed disciplined and didn't fall for the trick. And he made, he made the interception, but, um, I expect one of those guys to step up on the defensive side as well, along with you expect somebody on the defensive line to do something right. Like you've got Jalen Carter and, but you expect somebody other than Jalen Carter to really step up there as well. Georgia has been recruiting the defensive line position, um, well over the past couple of years. And obviously they just put three guys in the NFL. So that's a pretty good you know, sales pitch to anyone in the next couple of classes. Um, but I think people on the roster itself as well will pair up nicely with Jalen Carter on the on the defensive side. Yeah, Georgia's got a loaded secondary right now. Last year was kind of the secondary was kind of tabbed as the weakness of the defense, even though they really didn't have one. That's why they were the best defense in the nation, maybe best all time. Some make it the case, but especially after they lost Tyke Smith and then you're going to have to throw in a, um, a Keely Ringo as well. It was kind of tabbed as the weakness. But now that you got dudes like Kamari Laster, Nyling Green, and then you bring back you bring back Chris Smith, and then you have William Poole returning, and you add back Tyke Smith, even Dan Jackson. You have a really strong secondary right now. And you have corners for days. You recruited a crap ton of them this year in your recruiting class, and you got a lot of talented football players. And you have Kirby Smart and Will Muschamp developing those guys and working with them. And Fran Brown now, who has been killing it on the recruiting um, circuit ever since he arrived in Athens. So you got three really good guys working with that group. They're going to be really special. All of those players are really talented. They have an eye for talent, and they do a good job developing them. So um, I'm re- I also am really interested to see who wins the battle more. So I think Kamari Lasseter is probably going to end up having the edge. But you'll probably end up seeing kind of what you did with Amir Speed and Keely Ringo last season. You'll see them both throwing them out there. Just see who's the better guy, who's going to show up when it matters, who's going to make the plays. And then as the season goes on, you'll see someone just be the guy at that position. But both of those are both of those guys are really good football players. And and who's going to make? Yeah, it's who's going to make take the next step in their career and solidify themselves in the depth chart. Absolutely. And it's it's going to be interesting to see. Right. Like we're excited to see what happens this next year it's one of those things where you come off of having such an elite defense. Like you said, it's, it's historic. It's a defense that is absolutely, you know, unprecedented. It's a team that we haven't seen before like that. And like you said, we had a, our weakness, Georgia's weakness was the defensive back room. And was it really a weakness? Obviously not. Otherwise teams would have just scorched them all year long, but they can be the weakness when you have a historic defense that only allows 12 points a game or whatever it was, 12 to 12 point something points a game um it, it's it's okay when that's your weakness right like if your weakness gives up a couple plays here and there you can live with that when it's so dominant but i'm excited to see who steps up this season and and where georgia goes in the next year it, it's not going to be as good as it was last year everybody knows that but i don't think it's as big of a drop-off as a lot of people make it out to be right like i don't think georgia sees a massive drop-off on defense where they start allowing 25 points a game or something like that 
I think they might I mean, allow you, 16 points a game or something like that. But like, do you really think they're going to drastically change? No, I don't think you'll ever see Georgia's defense have a dramatic drop off from a season to season. And it's the same thing every year. Whenever Georgia has this mass exodus on defense and they have seven defensive guys go to the NFL draft and they have or whatever th- this year, they had a whole bunch of them go to the NFL or leave the program. Everybody says, oh, well, they lost a lot of guys from that talented defense. So they're a little inexperienced there. It don't matter. Kirby Smart produces an elite defense every single year. He's going to. That is his M.O. of his uh, or his modus operandum, if I were Brooks Austin. That's how I'd say it. So <laughs> shouts out to him. So he, that is Kirby Smart's Speaking modus there, operandum. There you go. Uh, there you Austin, go. Repping the go. brand as always. But um, so he's never going to put out a, a like submissive defense or anything like that. That That is what his pro, that is Georgia's DNA right now. Now, the offense is slowly creeping up on them in regards to how productive they're going to be and how electric they're becoming. I think you're going to see that offense really take a big step forward this year. Um, but the defense is always going to be great. You don't ever have to worry about them. That's never going to be an issue. They um, they produce really good linebackers every single season. They're starting to really produce defensive linemen really well. Trey Scott's doing a heck of a job there. And as I said before, you got two of the best uh, – or the two best secondary coaches in all of college football and Will Muschamp and Kirby Smart working with those guys. Defense is always going to be strong and it's going to, so I would never be worried about um, Georgia having a, like an average defense or whatnot. I'll, I'll put this up on the screen real quick because I agree. I, I, I view 16 points a game, you know, as a, a ceiling for it because I don't quite think it necessarily gets on an average that point just based on the schedule alone. I don't think it necessarily gets like that, but I use that number because I'm trying to set a precedence for people to understand that like, hey, 12 point something points a game versus like 16 points a game. It's not that big of a difference. And that's like in my head, it's one of the worst case scenarios of Georgia's defense because I don't think they're going to sit here and give up 20 plus points a game or something like that. I think they're going to still be in the teens. And if that's the case, yeah, Georgia's defense was historic last year, but it's not going to be that big of a difference. You know, like it's going to be different. But it's not going to be a drop-off, and therefore, you don't have anything to worry about. So to sit here and say, hey, they won't be able to get back. Georgia won't be able to get back in the in the national limelight because their defense won't be historic this year. Their defense is still going to be good, like you said. Don't worry about that. Um, I can't do it since we're remote. But go ahead and pull up Dan's next comments because I also want to touch on this as well. I think that's a great comment as well because you saw it from Tennessee last year. Um when Tennessee Tennessee had a really explosive offense and they were zooming down the field, scoring a bunch of points. But the downside of that is your defense is playing a lot of snaps and you're getting them on the field a whole lot quicker. And I think you kind of saw Georgia at times find a good balance in that because Georgia was really explosive last year. Um, Stetson Bennett um, was the most efficient passer on 20 plus yards, um, 20 plus yard throws. And they were hitting on those a lot last year, but they also aren't just like hurrying up the offense, rushing down the field, trying to score as quick as they can. They kind of dial things back a little bit. You know, they may hit their deep shot. They may hit their explosive um, play of the drive, and then they might hand it off two plays in a row and just kind of take some time off the clock, and then they'll strike again. So they kinda, Todd Munkin does a really good job of finding a good in-between ground in it when he knows when to strike. He knows when he wants his offense to be um, – going down the field at a uh, at an efficient rate but then also he knows all right let's time like kind of playing a game with the defense like all right we're going to hit you in the mouth really fast three times and then we're going to slow it back down kind of get you um try to make you adjust to a different play style for a couple of plays and then we'll switch it right back on on you so i think Todd Munkin does a good job of that so i don't think you'll necessarily see them just switch off to a Tennessee type of thing but um 
Yeah, that is a good point. If your offense is a very explosive, that also means your defense is going to be on the field a whole lot more, and then boys are going to be tired by the fourth quarter. Speaking of Tennessee, I mean, are you buying into any of the – I know we'll, we'll segue after this to King of the Hill because we need to get to that topic. Are you buying this hype about, you know, Tennessee's offense being as good? I mean, they had a good offense last year. I'm not, I'm not taking anything away from them. They were explosive. They scored a decent amount of points. Do you think they have enough on defense? Because I think that's the question, right? Do they have enough on defense in order to actually be competitive, like legitimately competitive in the SEC East? Not They're not going to beat Georgia. Let's, let's keep that real before I even get past this point. Do they have a chance to win more than nine games is what I'm going to ask. I'll go ahead and tell you. This right here, I don't know if you can see what it is. It's <laughs> yeah, running over yep. a Tennessee volunteer player, but like, the run of his entire career, what defines his whole career. That's probably what you're going to be seeing from Tennessee. Yeah. That's probably what you're going to be seeing from Tennessee's defense this year is a whole lot of that. Just eating dirt, pulling dirt out of their face mask, just getting absolutely owned. Now their offense is probably going to be good. Kenan Hooker was really um, a really, really good quarterback last season. And they've added some guys as well. So I think um, you'll see a good offense as well. um, Like you did last year. And I think they will be good in that area. But at the same time, like when you play against a great defense like Georgia, I just don't see them finding much success either um, in that aspect of things. So I think nine wins, that's probably doable for Tennessee. And I think they could creep up maybe in the number two spot of the East, just because also like the East is pretty down right now. Um, It's really Georgia, Kentucky and Tennessee as of right now, in my opinion, as your three teams that could really be pretty competitive on a on a every weekend basis. But I'm not buying the hype just yet. I got to see some consistency from them. I got to see some consistency from Hypel and see if they can start to kind of strengthen up their defense, beef them up a little bit, and be a little more consistent on both sides of the football. Yeah, I think I, I'll say that I think Tennessee's on the upward side of like their rebuild. I think they're on their way up towards being more competitive, but I definitely need to see a little bit more out of them this year. I, I personally, the reason I said this a second ago is that's what I put as my ceiling for. Tennessee this year is about nine wins. I don't see them cracking the 10 win spot just yet. I definitely don't see them getting up to like 11 because there's no chance that they beat Georgia this year in my head. I I don't think they've gotten that to that level. And they play at Georgia this year too. So they don't even, I mean, they got to go through Bama and Georgia every single year. You got to think that too. So they got, they have to get to that level of play as well to really be. So anyone that says they're going to win 11 games means that they think that they're going to beat either, <coughs> excuse me either Georgia or Alabama because they do play them every year that's a very good point I forget that that's their crossover game every year like Georgia and Auburn I forget that that's theirs where mm-hmm. they play them every year yeah. um, tough draw but yeah so like yeah that's a tough draw for sure that's a very tough draw but they used to be more competitive back in the day the reason that's theirs because they were more competitive they were you know that used to be a rivalry a big rivalry where Tennessee would play Alabama and it decided a lot of things but neither here nor there. Let's go ahead and jump over to King of the Hill, and I'll let you start with this as well. The question of the day for King of the Hill is some of the best or most you know, incredible sports records out there. So I'll and kick it over to and, you. And I, and I also tied it into like ones that probably won't ever be touched ever in like sports history. Like The, the ones that I have are pretty absurd. You might have the same ones as me because they might be a little bit generic. But they're just too crazy not to list. So my first one. Let's see. We don't talk one, about this before the show, by the way. We just set the yeah. topic. And I can problems. almost guarantee so, yeah, we'll you'll have this do. one. I can almost <laughs> guarantee you'll have this one just because I know where your head is at in sports and stuff. 
But this one is never getting touched, ever. Like, hands down, no one's ever going to come close. Cal Ripken Jr. playing 2,632 consecutive games, never being touched, ever in baseball history. No one is even coming close to that. Guys arrested every two weeks now in the MLB. I was going to say, yeah. That alone eliminates it because everyone gets rested every month, yeah. at least at least once a month. Like some of your players, I know Freddie Freeman used to play a good bit, and you would only get maybe one or two off days in a month when he played for the Braves occasionally until he got injured a decent amount, and two weeks at a time or something like that. But that's yeah. never going to be touched just because nobody, the, the coaching staff just rests them. That alone is going to eliminate that. I mean, Travis Demerit was pulled from a game the other day because he said, I woke up and I felt tired, so I don't think I can play today. So you got that. No, no shade to him. I mean, if you wake up tired, you wake up tired. And if you're not ready, you got to do what's best for the team and tell your coach and be honest. But yeah, that record will never even get close to being touched. Next one, I kind of got two for this one. Brett Favre, 305 career interceptions. And I saw that one. here's a stat for you on that. A quarterback could throw 15 interceptions for 20 consecutive seasons and not That's top far's mark. As great as Brett Favre was, as strong of an arm he had, and as talented he was, man, that dude turned the ball over a lot. And wow. So I don't know that I'll ever get touched. Maybe it does just because the guys throw the ball. But now in the NFL, if you ain't cutting it at quarterback, they're going to find someone to replace you because they're – People are not afraid to just throw in another quarterback and try anything. So, yeah, I don't think that one will be getting touched. Another baseball one, Joe DiMaggio, 56-game hitting streak. Man, I think, one, pitchers are just so good now. You have so many guys up in the upwards of 96 miles per hour. Pitchers are so good, and it's so hard now to get hits on a consistent basis. And also on top of that. We've only seen people get in, like, the mid-low 30s. So, like, still 20 games away kind of thing. Pete Rose was the only one that came close and he got to 44. So that was the last time someone came like remarkably close. That's a long time ago. Yeah. But during that time, so during that 56 game hitting streak, he batted 408. So it wasn't like this guy was just slapping one hit every game. This dude was raking every single game. And then my last one, another baseball one. pitchers. Yeah. Another baseball one. Cy Young threw uh, 749 complete games in his career and had 511 career wins. Absolutely absurd. Like, again, this comes back to like guys get rested a whole lot. Pitchers. I wonder what his pitch count was. Absolutely. Well, yeah. In those games. Because good God. 749. That is ridiculous. I, I couldn't believe <laughs> that it was real. I thought it was a typo. But yeah. So Dude, those, those are the ones I rubber. Literally, literally. Like, absolutely rubber. How on earth did he not have – like, Jesus, that's insane. I think I saw some, some – some of our stuff was – the only one that we actually had that was a crossover was a 56-game hitting streak. That was insane. I saw the other ones when I do my research and stuff like that, obviously. But I kind of – Good. I'm glad to hear what yours are. To me. Right. So I've got a couple of different ones. This is my first one, right? Ricky Henderson. 1,406 stolen bases in his career, right? The closest player that's coming up, Jose Reyes, may end up close to around 1,000. Like, he could get into a 1,000 range with his. But a player could steal 70 bases for 20 consecutive seasons and still not beat that record. That's insane. Never getting touched. Like, like it was insane. Like, even when people talking about getting bases for uh, uh, Ronald Acuna last couple years before he got hurt, talking about him going 40 40 um with stolen bases 40 was insane 70 over 20 seasons would not actually get 
to that number. So that's my first one because you'll absolutely never see anyone close no. to that. Plus, catchers Next again, one, like guys throwing hard, catchers yeah. just freaking they nail it on better. the throw. Yeah. Well, that and now they've also figured out pitching moves and stuff like that a lot more. Like the, the yeah. pitchers have figured out like moves to first that are a lot more effective. And so they actually kind of eliminate that first step that a lot of players had. And so you combine that with the the catchers having a lot stronger arms. And the ball's getting the home plate a lot quicker now. That's true. All of it combined. That record's Mm -hmm. never being touched, ever. No. Next one. Jerry Rice, 22,895 receiving yards. That one always blows me away. Nobody's ever going to sniff that either because – it would literally a hundred or uh, eleven hundred and fifty yards for twenty consecutive seasons, or fifteen hundred yards in consecutive seasons. So not only do you have to be able to have fifteen hundred yards or eleven hundred yards in a season, you have to do it for twenty or fifteen straight years. How many wide receivers actually even stay in the league for fifteen years at this point? How many? Yeah. How many wide? I mean, look at a guy like know? Julio Jones right now. Yeah, just they don't make it that far anymore. Wide receivers, no. they wear their bodies out. So, yeah, you might see somebody be able to put up 1,500 yards a season. That player making it more than 10 seasons is going to be spectacular. So somebody even mm-hmm. sniffing that record, it's never going to happen. I don't think we ever no. see that record get touched. Unreal. Last one. And this one's a different stat. It's not even like an actual performance, but it's based on their performance that made this happen. Barry Bonds. I've got two stats with him on this. Barry Bonds, 120 intentional intentional walks in a singular season. One season, 120. Career, 688 intentional walks. You really think that they're that scared of anybody in this day and age? To 120. There's 160 games in a season. So that means almost every single game you're intentionally walking somebody to get 120 in one season. No way that's even like remotely going to happen again. Absolutely I don't know the exact stat on this, but um, I remember seeing a stat and I think it was about Tom Glavin. And I think there was only like 30 times in his whole career where he pitched, he got to a three Oh count when pitching and like more than half of those were intentional walks. And we're talking about a guy yeah. that lasted in the league for a long time. That's that one's also one that blows me away. And then one that Harrison, our guy Harrison, put in the comments: Bill Russell winning eleven championships during his time in the NBA. That's another one that probably won't ever get touched, unless you have like one of these guys that just happens to be on the bench every single year with the um, with the NBA champions. Like you've kind of seen, you've kind of seen a run with some of those players where they just happen to be on the right place at the wrong time. Greg Maddox, that's who it was. Dan, I couldn't remember if it was Maddox or Glavin, but um. Yeah, it was Greg Maddox about the pitching stat. That one, I so yeah, about that. yeah, yeah. Both of those always blow me away. There's just so many out there as well. Um, absolutely insane. But yeah, so that concludes this, this week's King too. of the Hill. Before you, yes, do that, this one too. Wayne Gretzky. That isn't it like if you take away all of his career goals scored, his assists still lead everybody? Isn't that what the stat is? I think that's what the stat. I'm not a big so. hockey guy, I'll let, but I I'll know let Dan. Dan's our hockey guy, and, and I'm very much aware of Wayne Gretzky one. and his greatness. So, um, yeah, I'll let I'll him be we, the one that judges that, but he can yeah. he can give us that answer. But yeah, go ahead. Sorry, I interrupted you by putting that. Oh up. no, I was. Yeah. Um. So. Yeah, this week's King that was a little different. Not a, not exactly argument or like argumentative, like we try to make it, but it was just something fun that we kind of wanted to together. Just argue. Sorry, I just wiggled we my try. We at least attempt. We try <laughs> to. Um, 
And one of these days I'm going to get it. One of these days I'm going to get um, Jeremiah red in the face, tears rolling down his eyes for me, just <laughs> obliterating him in an argument. And he, he might kick me off the podcast after that episode, but it's going to be a, a, a very memorable I'll day. I'll go so one, far without you on the podcast. And one, <laughs> and one that I'm itching <laughs> to get to one day. So I'm going to figure this thing out. I'm going to get it down. And that's why I started this segment. And one day we're really going to get this down to where we're just at each other's throats. But that concludes this week's episode. Concludes King of the Hill. I hope you guys really enjoyed it. Talked anywhere from NIL, million dollar deals, all that stuff to stats that just blow you away. And like like what I said earlier, you almost have to say that has to be a typo. Like there's no way that's real just because they're so unreal. But I'll do my um, episode duties as I always do. Dogs <laughs> Daily Pod on Twitter. Go follow us on there. Subscribe to us on YouTube as well. Like the video if you haven't already and you're still here with us. Um, helps us grow, helps us c- continue to get exposure. And like I said, just trying to get our name out there to people and expose our videos to everybody. So you guys help us by doing those things for us. And then also we have a Facebook page if you're into that sort of thing. Maybe your grandma or grandpa wants to see what we're about. You can tell them about it. You can like our Facebook page. We do our live streams over there as well. But other than that, Jeremiah, I'll let you close us out. You know the deal. As always, keep it classy in the classic city. And we will catch you guys next week. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Dogs Daily on Sports Illustrated. Take a second to subscribe, rate, review, and share with your friends and family. Feel free to reach out to the Dogs Daily crew on Twitter with any topics you'd like discussed. You can reach out to Jeremiah at Jeremiah underscore Stodd 7, to Kyle at DK Fubderberg, and Jonathan at 22 underscore J-Man. Check back next week for a brand new episode. In the meantime, go dogs.